In today's gospel lesson, Jesus gets back to his hometown. Now he's been all over the place. And geographically, I want to kind of explain, right? Jesus born in Bethlehem down near Jerusalem, but grew up, his hometown was up in the Northern part of Israel in Nazareth. Well, Jesus left his hometown, went to be baptized, went out into the wilderness, has been in Jerusalem, has been around Galilee, has been across the river to places that were not Jewish, doing all kinds of amazing things. And he has gathered a big crowd around him. He is now well known. And so he goes back home. And this very well-known passage, a prophet is not accepted in his hometown, right? Jesus shows up to the synagogue and starts to teach and speak and wants to do the stuff that has garnered so much attention. And what do the people back home do? They look at him and say, excuse me, we know you. Wasn't that the carpenter's son? Like, who does he think he is, right? I mean, this is one of those like too big for his britches sort of moments. And in an amazing moment, Mark says, Jesus could not perform deeds of power because of their unbelief. That stops me in my tracks. Because I think for most of us, and I bet many of you are like me, you kind of think Jesus can do whatever he wants, right? That God can do whatever he wants. And yes, of course, God is God. And so God is still God and can do whatever. But there is this moment here in the telling of the gospel story that is an invitation, an invitation to a partnership. In a very real way, what is happening here is that Jesus is inviting the people to be part of the work with him. Jesus wants us, us too, to be part of this work of love to transform and to heal and to change the world. And if we don't believe, if we don't say yes, if we don't partner, Mark here says Jesus can't do stuff because of our unbelief. That is a real amazing moment. And I think that moment of unbelief is one that changes Jesus's course. Jesus will ultimately just leave, right? Send the disciples elsewhere, not in his hometown. Now, many of you have heard me say before that God loves us enough just as we are, but loves us enough not to leave us there. I messed that up. That God loves us just as we are, and loves us enough not to leave us there. In other words, we are loved. Every one of us right here in our pews, we are loved. And not a one of us is done growing. None of us are perfect. None of us have the kind of faith where God can say, good job, you're done. We all have room to grow, room to walk, more belief to nurture. I thought about this because just before today's gospel lesson, we sang Amazing Grace. It is one of the most, if not the most famous Christian hymn of all time. A stunning hymn with words. And I'm not necessarily the big hymn guy who knows, you know, what hymns typically say. Amazing Grace, I know. And my guess is that for you all, you know that the words of this song are powerful theological poetry that really gets in touch with our imperfection and God's profound love for us, even in all of our messiness. Now, some of you may know the story of Amazing Grace, but I'm gonna bet some of you don't. 
And even if you do, it's worth hearing again. (laughs) Amazing Grace was written in 1772 by an Englishman named John Newton. John Newton came to the point where he was able to write this incredible hymn, not because he was some kind of perfectly faithful person his whole life, but because he was a real hot mess. John Newton had a troubled childhood. His mother died when he was very young. His father was not terribly supportive. And so as a teen, he rebelled against authority. He became part of the slaving trade in England, working on slave trips, ships back and forth. But even on those ships, he would fight the authority. And so at one point, he was abandoned in West Africa by his crew and had to fend for himself working for a slave trader in West Africa until he was finally rescued and brought back home to England. When he was on that ship back home to England, there was a huge violent storm that almost sank the ship. And John on that ship prayed to God to save his life and that he would turn it around and he would be good and he would do good. And his life was spared. And what did John do? He became a slave ship master. So he didn't really change But instead, he did more within that industry that ultimately began to pain his soul. He took trips back and forth to Africa and England. But even as he was doing that, he experienced more storms in his life. At one point, he became so violently ill on a ship that he practically died and once again prayed that God would save him and he would change his life. And he was saved. And this time... He stopped working in the slave trade, stopped sailing on ships, and he began to devote his life to God. And typically, that's where the story of Amazing Grace ends. People tied up in a nice little bow, right? He got sick on the ship and he prayed to God and God saved his life. And so he decided no more slavery. And then he wrote Amazing Grace. And isn't that nice? Except for more than 30 years, even though he didn't sail, John continued to invest in the slave trade because it was lucrative. And it was 34 years after he stopped sailing himself that he finally reached a point where he realized exploiting fellow humans was not right. Years after he wrote Amazing Grace, he finally realized that he had to give his entire life over to this invitation to love every person Genuinely. Why I say all of that is because John, in his humility, wrote just about the most famous hymn ever. And John, in his humility, is a model to us that not a one of us is near perfect enough to stop the journey of discipleship, to stop the commitment to God, to be transformed and to get better and better along the way. We are in our common life at a point where divisions are rife. We are all products of our world in some way. And we are at a point in time when disagreements do not lead to helpful, healthy discussions, but instead disagreements lead to people digging in their heels and committing themselves to imperfect ideas simply because that's what the world is telling us we have to do. The ugliness around conversation 
has become so hard that people stop talking about hard things together, stop working on themselves, stop having disagreements that lead to growth, but instead start to criticize. And the criticisms create defensiveness, and it's this terrible cycle. I saw once someone who said, those who can do, those who can't, use the comment section to point out how what the others did was not perfect. (laughs) That is where we have come in our life together. And yet God is calling us to something so much better. God is calling us to be challenged, to grow and to change and to do so in faith. Now, this is not always easy because for most of us, we are not familiar with this idea of growth out in the public sphere, but I will tell you that our world is hungry. The divisions that we see out in our world are people calling out for purpose and for hope that goes beyond the basic stuff that our world makes us focus on. I'm reminded of years ago, woman I knew in my church back in Alabama managed a Barnes & Noble bookstore. And she showed up to the bookstore one morning and there was a man waiting at the door. And as she was unlocking and opening the store, she said to the man, you know, can I help you? And the man said, yes, I'd like to learn about Jesus. And so she dutifully took him over to the Christian book section and said, here you go. And as she was leaving him to browse, he said, no, wait, 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 please. Don't give me another book. He said, can you tell me about Jesus. And her little Episcopal heart kind of shrunk in that moment. (laughs) You're like, but she did the best she could and told this man what she knew of Jesus. You know, this is what we are really called to do together. We don't come here and sit in these pews just to sing some hymns and say some prayers and leave them here. We come together and we commit as a community so that we can go out there, provide hope, provide purpose, invite people in so that we can transform one person at a time. Love is the invitation, excuse me. Love is the invitation that God gives to each and every one of us. Transformation happens because we make choice after choice after choice that moves us closer to God's perfect love, even in our own imperfection. On this holiday weekend, we are reminded of the ideals that undergird our national identity. And as faithful people, we know we always fall short of the ideals set before us. We are called to love every person And we are never meant to ask how or when or why. We are simply told to love. We are part of this community to commit ourselves to continuing to learn more and more about the profound power of love. And in our belief, invite God to do amazing things in our world. I give thanks that we have the opportunity here to say yes to love and pray that all of us, wherever we are on our journey, will continue to say yes again and again. Amen.